Hey guys, we are so glad you're here with us at Journey Church Online. I want you to know God has something so amazing for you today. If you want to get more information about Journey Church, we have a texting service that we want you to use. Text the phrase, my welcome, to 94000. This is how we want to help connect you with Journey Church. Also, if you want updates, text it to your phone about what's going on here at Journey Church. Text my journey to 94000. As we jump into the service, I want to encourage you to share this video with someone. The small action of sharing this service on social media could be the start of life change for whoever sees it. Hey guys, we are so glad you're joining us again for Journey Online, and uh, we are, you know, in the middle of an incredible series, I feel like, for what times we are going through, on how to be uh, positive in a negative world, and there's plenty of negativity around us, uh, you know, even this past uh, week, whatever, we've kind of been kind of navigating, if you will, the, the new mask order here in our area, and uh, people are just seeing that as a negative, some people see it as a positive, some, you know, it's just one of those things where it's kind of hard to know where to be, but what we do want to talk about is being a positive influence, and today that's our focus, being a positive influence, and the thing is, is there's times we may not like what is going on around us, but how do we influence in a positive way, how do we help people see the good that is beyond maybe the negatives that are around us, and so today we're going to kind of continue with the, the character of uh, Nehemiah, you know, last week we saw where he met with God, he heard a negative report, he met with God, he was broken over his sin. He took ownership of his sin, of his family's sin. Man, and he, you know, and he went before God and asked God to forgive him and, and made sure that he was in right standing with God. And then he asked God to show him what to do and, and even asked for, for God's favor as he went before the king. He put his life on the line to ask, you know, just for, for God's, God to, you know, give him an opportunity to be able to go back, but to ask the king for the king's favor and, for the king's release, to release him from his job and to release him, you know, from his responsibilities to be able to foot the bill, to build him a house. I mean, he had all kinds of things that he wanted to ask. And so, but he went in, you know, with courage and with, with boldness and with faith to before the king and put his life on the line. But God answered that prayer and gave him incredible favor. So today we want to see what has happened since that point. So we're going to cover a lot of scripture today. So I'm going to try to move as quickly as I can, but it's it's a great book of the Bible to read. And if you get a chance, you love leadership and influence, go back and read the book of Nehemiah. Read all the details of it. It's incredible. So let's kind of pick up where we are. So the, the vision that we see, the vision was from God. So this vision was from God that we see that Nehemiah had. And so in his time with, with God, and that's one of the incredible things, when we spend time with God, God will reveal what he wants us to do. But we've got to spend time with him. It comes there. And so look at what it says here. And uh, Nehemiah says, when I came to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, in other words, he's already received the blessings from the king. He's been given what he needs to get there. It says, when I got there uh, to the province west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letters to them. And the king, I should add, I love this, had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. In other words, not only did the king give him what he had asked for, he gave him more than that. And that's just how God works. God blesses us above and beyond. But when Sambalot and the the, uh, the, the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard my arrival, they were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. So I arrived in Jerusalem three days later. I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart. See that this is from God. The God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. So we took no pack animals with us except the donkey I was riding. So he literally goes around 
and he begins to you know, kind of inspect everything. But he didn't, he didn't tell anybody what God had put in his heart. And there are times, you know what, we've got to wait for the right timing. We've got to wait, wait for the right moment. But the thing is, is Nehemiah is going back and he's wanting to try to be a positive influence. Really what he's wanting to do, he's wanting to lead the people to rebuild the wall. I'm talking about major influence. This is a wall that has been burned out. The, the, the gates have been burned out. Everything has been destroyed. It's been torn down. It's just really a bunch of rubble. It's just a bunch of piles. And so what Nehemiah is trying to do is he's trying to lead these people to rebuild this wall. So this is what I love about Nehemiah. He, he got there. He inspected everything. Again, if you remember last week, he did a great job of planning and preparing. Well, this, he was going out and he was inspecting the wall. He was trying to get an idea, hey, what is it going to take? And then this is the other thing he did. He went and Nehemiah got the leadership on board. Nehemiah got the leadership on board. And so here's the thing. He, he, he realized, hey, who are the people that have influence already? Who are the people that already have influence over the people? And he went to the nobles and he went to some of the leadership there. And he got the leadership on board. There's an old saying, you know, whenever you're trying to lead someone to do something, you need to find out who's got the strongest or the loudest voice in the room. And oftentimes, if you can get that person on board, then you'll also impact other people. Maybe it's in a family Hey, it's the, it's the grandmother, the grandfather. If you get them on board, everybody else is going to be on board. And so that's a leadership principle is you always want to try to get the leaders on, in, involved and on board with wherever you're going because they have influence already. Here he is. He's, he's, a, he's a newcomer to the area, but these people have already you know, got buy-in from the people. So if he could get them on board, man, he's in good shape. And so let's, let's pick up here. So Nehemiah gets the leaders on board. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. And they replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. So this is what I love. They began this incredible good work. But man, they, they hear, you know, his, his influence. They hear, you know, they see how God has already blessed him. And Nehemiah had met with God first, and, and here's one thing that was very evident. The anointing, God's anointing was evident on him. You know, the, the, the people, the nobles, the, they hear, you know, what all God has already provided. And sometimes it's important for us to hear that. You know, maybe you're trying to get people to be on board with you with a ministry or maybe with a mission or something like that. And whenever you begin to tell the stories of what God has done, you're, in other words, you're bragging on God and you're pointing to what God has done. And people will begin to see, you know what? God's hand is on this ministry. God's hand is on this decision. God's hand is on this. God's provision is taking place. And so the nobles heard this, and it was clear to them that, you know, that Nehemiah had God's favor and his anointing on him. So it was evident. So Nehemiah met with God first. That was the first person to meet with. And so God put this on his heart. He blessed him. And then because of the blessings on his life, other people were like, you know what? God's all over this guy. God is behind this. And there's times in ministry where we see that. We see where God has his hand on someone. And so here we've, we've got a, another thing we've got to do. If we look back at this, we've got to face reality and not ignore it. If you look back in that passage there, it's, it's pretty clear. You know, he says, hey, listen, these walls are in ruins. We are a disgrace right now. And so he didn't, he didn't kind of, kind of fluff it up. He didn't try to powder it up. He just said, hey, listen, you know, we've got a lot of work to do. And we're going to rebuild this. But you know what? God's hand has been on me. And so he faced the reality. I think about some of the things that our nation is facing right now. You know, a lot of people want to ignore what's going on, even with some of the racism and stuff like that. We can't ignore reality. We have to face it. And we've got to help people look beyond that. And that's the next thing. We need to help people 
see, uh, help others see beyond the challenges to what could be. So we, we can't ignore, hey, you know what, there, there's an issue right now with racism. There are people that are being treated differently than other people. So we can't ignore that. We've got to embrace that. We've got to face that and just go, you know what, hey, it's not as good as it could be. And it's not as good as it should be. But we also have responsibility, if we're going to be people of influence, to do everything we can to help people see what it could be. And then, hey, what are the steps to get there? And that's what Nehemiah was doing. You know, he faced the reality of what the walls looked like. They were charred. Uh, you know, the gates were burned. It was a pile of rubble. He faced that. He realized that. But he said, hey, this is what it could be. And so Nehemiah did a great job of that. He helped others see beyond the challenges to what it could be. God had given him a vision. He began to cast that vision. And then people got on board. The Bible says people perish for lack of vision. And so we as leaders have to have vision. If you're working in a company, you know, and you don't have any vision for your company, all it is is, hey, listen, we're just going to do our job. We're going to make our money. We're going to go home. That company probably won't make it for the long haul, and it'll never be all that it could be. And you might say, well, Mike, you know, hey, it's been there for 40 years. Yeah, but what could it have been in those 40 years? So we have to ask those questions. You know, in our families, we have to have vision of what God wants our families to be. Where does he want us to be? If we're just, hey, we're just living and dying, that's it. We're missing out on what God may have in store for us. And here's the next one. It's better to be a problem solver than a complainer. I don't know about you, but when people come to me complaining, I often ask them, hey, do you have any suggestions? Do you have any ideas? Do you have any thoughts on how we might could fix that or any, you know, any way to maybe solve that problem? So what I love is a problem solver. Instead of coming in and wanting to complain about something, what if they were to come in and say, hey, listen, I've noticed that this is an issue and uh, these were a couple of ideas that I had. For me, that makes me think kind of like Nehemiah did that, you know, not only had he, he seen the situation or seen the problem, but he'd been thinking, maybe even spending time in prayer, but he'd been thinking about, hey, what's the way to resolve this? How do we fix this? And so with Nehemiah, we see someone who met with God, thought through things, planned things well, and came with a solution. He had an idea. And so we all, man, we all hear plenty of complainers. All of us do. But what about the problem solvers, the ones who put together plans? They spend time with God, and they have something from Him. So look at this next part right here. Nehemiah gives everyone credit and praise. I love this. Nehemiah takes all of chapter 3, uh, pretty much all of chapter 3, and he literally begins to give credit to those who were working, what they did, what part of the wall they were working on. And look at what it says in uh, Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 28. It says, Above the horse gate, the priest prepared the wall. Each one repaired the section immediately across from his own house. So in other words, the, this whole wall of Jerusalem. And so everybody began to work on the section that was right across from them. And, and, and so what Nehemiah does, he takes all of chapter 3 in Nehemiah, and he literally gives credit and praise to all these people that have worked and worked hard. And, and, and so, you know, we all know that we need an attaboy every once in a while. We all do. Sometimes a pat on the back goes a long way, man. Somebody says, hey, man, you're doing a good job. That goes a long way. Negativity, you know, when someone always has to point out the negative man it can hurt and it can kind of uh, take the wind out of yourselves but when someone is doing a good job we a lot of times we forget to tell them hey you're doing a great job and hey this is what i saw you doing because we hey some of it we just expect but nehemiah did a good job of pointing out what he expected but also what they did so nehemiah does a good job of giving everybody praise and credit and so here he's talking about everybody's doing you know their part and so look at this next uh, statement here Everyone did his part. Now, that's unusual to get everybody on board, to get everybody doing their part. That's, that's, that's a tough thing, but that just goes to show you what kind of leader Nehemiah was. And so everyone is doing their part. And just think about us as a church. What if everybody did their part? What if everybody 
you know, was tithing? What if everybody was serving? What if everybody was sharing the gospel? What if every, every believer, every person that is here was doing their part every week? What kind of impact, what kind of difference our church journey would be able to make in our, in this river region and to, throughout the world? So what if everybody does their part? And too often we want somebody else to do their part. I don't know about you, but you know, whenever I was, uh, you know, I had three boys and I was raising these three boys, there were times that I would give them assignments and one would always worry about what the other one was not doing. And I would have to tell them, say, listen, if you'll just do your job, you don't have to worry about what they're not doing. And, but they always wanted to point out what somebody else was not doing. So therefore, they weren't doing their job because they had to point out, well, the fact that their brother was not doing their job. And I would tell them, hey, listen, I want you to understand, I know, I see what's being done. And I'll reward those who do it well, and I will, I will discipline those who don't. And so God does the same thing with us. And so too often we're so worried about what somebody else is not doing or what they're doing that we're not doing what we've been committed to do or what we have been called to do. And so we've got to be willing to say, God, help me to be focused on what matters here. And so everyone did his part. Everyone was working together with focus. That's a big deal. You know, they didn't have the whole wall to focus on. They had what was right across from their house. And so there was incredible focus. And Nehemiah did a great job of kind of laying it out. He said, hey, listen, I want you to take ownership. I want you to take ownership of the section across from your house. And so wherever they lived, they were able to walk out, work on that. And you know how it is. Sometimes you want your house to look good or you want what where you live to, to look good. So you put a little extra effort into it maybe. I know with the corona and the quarantine, man, there were more building projects and people fixing up their yards and doing things in their yards than they've done in years you know, and maybe because you had a little extra money, maybe it was because you had a lot of time. But the thing is, is we want to fix things up. We want to get them looking good. But everyone was working together with focus and working together. Man, we're so much more effective together than we are apart. And so we have got to be willing to say, God, help me to, to work with people, not against them. You know, there's certain things we need to oppose. There's certain things that we need to fight against. But really, you know, God, show us as a church how to work together. You know, whenever someone is, is sick... You know, what do we do? Do we do we just have one group of people? No, we, everybody needs to be praying for them and reaching out to them and encouraging them. And so too often what happens is in the church we see where the church thinks, hey, well, just the, the ministers or the pastors, whatever, they're the ones that's supposed to be doing the work of ministry. No, no, no. The Bible teaches us, and Jesus teaches us very clearly, that every believer is a minister. And so we should be working together with incredible focus, focused on the kingdom of God, focusing on meeting the needs of others. That's what ministry is. And so we should be working together with incredible focus. And too often we just we, we neglect our responsibilities and we hope that somebody else will take care of the details. And so we've got to work together. So working together with focus, you know, allows us and it gives us the opportunity to influence others. Because if we're working together and we're working with focus, others will say, you know what, I want to be a part of that. So look at this next part here. Now, Nehemiah had to deal with negativity. We all deal with negativity. Nehemiah understood it. Nehemiah dealt with negativity throughout this whole rebuilding campaign. And there are some of you that you're going to deal with negativity, you know, and it's going to come from different places. So let's look at what Nehemiah deals with here in, a, in, Hebrew, in a Nehemiah chapter 4. So Sambalot was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian uh, army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices, even mocking the God they serve? Do they actually think they can make something of stone from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? And what he's saying, listen, they don't even have good stuff to work with. 
all the more reason when God comes through, it changes everything. Look at this. Tobiah the, Am- the Ammonite who was standing beside him remarked, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. So they're sitting there just mocking him, mocking his guy. You know, say, hey, listen, you throw out a few sacrifices or a few things like that. You really think that's going to build a wall? And they didn't realize, you know, the God they were dealing with for sure. But the thing is, is here we see where Nehemiah is able to stay focused, keep moving, and, and, and keep staying, uh, being a person of influence, even with all this negativity. They're, they're belittling them. So here's the thing. Something we need to always know. There will always be opposition by the enemy. There will always be opposition by the enemy. As long as we are walking on this earth, there will be opposition by the enemy. Satan will do everything he can to come against us. We've got to know that. We've got to embrace that and just realize, you know what? That's part of life. And so there's going to be negative things around us. I think sometimes people think that we're going to live in a utopia here and now. That doesn't happen. There's always negativity. There's always evil in the hearts of men. The Bible even tells us that not all will choose the path of righteousness. It actually says that the majority you know, will, will choose the path that leads to destruction. But there will only be a few that will choose to put their faith in Christ and choose to follow Him. So for us to think... That, hey, this this world is going to be a place of you know utopia that there's everybody's going to get along. There won't be any negativity. Man, that, that's a fallacy, and that's nowhere in scripture. I don't know why you think that's that's going to happen. But that's not in scripture. The only place that happens is with the absence of sin and the absence of evil, and that's not going to take place until we're in, in God's presence or either God establishes a new heaven and a new earth. I'm just telling you, it's going to be part of what we deal with. But how do we stay positive in a negative world? We have to stay focused on those things that matter. And so here's the thing. Well, there will always be opposition. Look at what it says here. At last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city for the people had worked with enthusiasm. He's influenced these people to work with enthusiasm. They're passionate about what they're doing. But, again, here comes the negativity. But when Sambalot and Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect us. He's leading them back to that focus. Then the people of Judah began to complain. Now, this is, this is turning, turning the tables on Nehemiah a little bit. Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired and there's so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying before they know what's happening, we'll swoop down on them. And kill them and end their work. Now here's the tough thing about this. Nehemiah, he knew he had enemies. And he knew that, you know, Sambalot and Tobiah and all these guys, he knew that they were going to do everything they can to oppose him. Because, you know, he's, he's reestablishing the city of Jerusalem. And they didn't want that to happen. And so he knew that that was there. But here, all of a sudden, the people begin to turn. And they're complaining. And they're being negative. And so sometimes, and this is the way, the way I want us to look at this. Sometimes the enemies are clear. And sometimes they are close. Now, let me explain what that means. Sometimes it's very obvious who our enemies are. It's, it's obvious those who oppose what we're trying to do. You know, for the church, we, we realize, you know what, there's Satan. You know, there's the evil one. You know, we understand that is a very clear uh, enemy. We understand that scripture makes it clear that he opposes the gospel. He opposes the church. But we know that he is also defeated. But too often, you know, the, the enemy are close some of our people there becomes divisions in the church there becomes factions in the church there becomes division and arguing and gossip and slander and sinful things inside the body of christ 
And that's what, you know, so many times the world looks at and they say, you know, that's the reason I don't want to have anything to do with it. I've had a good friend of mine who owned a, a business. He told me, he said, the only lawsuits I've ever had were, were from family members and friends of mine. He said, it's the only lawsuits I've ever had. They've always come from people that were close to me. And maybe you know what that feels like. You know, there's times that we realize, you know what, I, I know who my enemies are there out here. And then all of a sudden, sometimes it's our friends or it's our family or it's people that we're close to. And that's what Nehemiah's having to deal with. He's got very clear enemies in these guys who are trying to oppose them and threatening to come and attack them. And then sometimes they're close. Sometimes it's the very people you're leading. Sometimes it's your friends and family that they oppose you. We see that throughout Scripture where there were times that the family would oppose them. So let's look at this next one here. God will fight our battles. You know, I love the fact that Nehemiah kept pointing people back to our God. And he would say, hey, remember our God. He would point them back to our God. Look at what it says here in uh, Nehemiah. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, and your wives and your homes. And so what he does, he does an incredible job of refocusing them. And so Nehemiah literally refocuses them through his conversation. He refocuses them on, hey, God is, is over this. So Nehemiah was able to reassure his people. He was able to reassure his people by focusing them on the ability of their God, not on their ability. He doesn't say, hey, guys, I know that you're great warriors. Hey, I know that you've got the ability. He refocuses them on God's ability. And I think too often what we do is we look to what we bring to the table. And I said this last week. I think there are times that God does expect us to bring our part to the table. But there's too, uh, I, I think there's too, time, too many times there's too much focus on what we do rather than what God can do. And so I want to be a part of something that, you know, maybe a dream or a vision that is bigger than me. If I can do it, I'm not so sure, you know, it's, it's big enough. And maybe there's things that you're praying for, things that you're dreaming about. But if they're only what you can do, maybe you're not thinking big enough and you're not dreaming big enough and you're not asking God for a God-sized vision. And so here, Nehemiah does a great job of helping the people focus on the ability of their God, not on their ability. Look at what it says in Nehemiah 4 here. Then I explained to the nobles and officials and all the people, the work is very spread out and we are widely separated from, all, all, from each other all along the wall. So when you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever uh, it is sounding, and then our God will fight for us. And that's one of the things we need to understand. You know, God is going to fight for us. We've got to have that mentality. God will fight for us. And, and so if we can get our mind around that, that God can fight our battles and focus on His ability and God's ability to fight for us, that's huge. And then this, this next part, I love this. Talk about influence. You know, get your hands dirty and get involved. I think too often as leaders... You know, we want to sit in the corner office and we want to kind of look down and we want to make sure that everybody is doing what they ought to be doing. But here's something, we need to get involved. Sometimes you need to get out and walk around and kind of get to know what's going on around you. You know, maybe you work in a corner office, maybe you're the boss or whatever, but you need to know what's going on in the lives of the people around you. You need to know, hey, what are we building? What are we making? What are we doing? You know, hey, what are we meeting the standards? And it's not all about numbers, it's about people. And, and so here I love the fact that Nehemiah, was involved he was engaged here he is he's got all these letters he's got you know he's got authority but man he is getting dirty getting his hands dirty so let's read here it says we worked early and late from sunrise to sunset now let me just kind of pause there for a second i grew up with a dad who we roofed houses and uh and we would literally start at daylight now the people that live there didn't like that because we're throwing bundles of shingles on top of a roof waking everybody up sounds like the roof's caving in 
but we would start at daylight and then we would end at, at dark. And now that's not the work ethic of today. I realize that it's hard to get people to work eight hours a day today, but I grew up with that. And man, you, you went hard all day long. And, uh, and that was just it. I mean, you started at daylight, you went till dark, you tried to knock it out as, as quick as possible. And so you were exhausted after a day of being in the sun, especially on a roof, man, you're out there. Well, these guys are working on a wall from daylight till dark. I mean, they're going hard and they're going hard at it. it says, and half the men were always on guard. So they had guys guarding, making sure that, you know, these, the enemy that are coming don't, don't, don't catch them by surprise. We've already seen where they were going to blast a trumpet and everybody would run to one spot and let God fight for them. He says, I also told everyone living outside the walls to stay in Jerusalem. That way they, they and their servants could help with guard duty at night and work during the day. During this time, none of us, not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards who were with me, ever took off our clothes. Don't you know they were stinking? Good gracious. We carried our weapons with us at all times, even when we, were, we went for water. So what he's saying, man, hey, we were all in. So they never took a break. He was dirty. His clothes were dirty. Obviously, they, you know, have been going hard at it. And so from daylight till dark, they're going hard at it. They're, they're not even taking time to wash their clothes. Whenever they do go to get water, they're still on guard. They're still focused. And they know, hey, you know what? There's a task at hand. And so here you see these guys, man, just going hard at it. And, and they're, they're focused. They're focused. They know what's ahead of them. And so look what happens. The builders complete the wall. So on October 2nd, the wall was finished just 52 days after we had begun. Everybody said it would never happen. It's nothing but a bunch of rubbish. It's nothing but a bunch of rocks and, and you know, just stuff just laying around. It'll never happen. But after 52 days, they were able to rebuild this wall. That's, that just seems incredible. But they were able to do it with great focus, and they did everything they could to kind of build this thing in a way that would honor God. Look at what it says here. When our enemies in the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. And they realized this work had been done with the help of our God. Everybody around knew, you know what? God had to be involved. For 52 days, man, they were able to rebuild this wall. God had to be involved. So not only had it been clear and evident to, you know, the nobles whenever they talked with Nehemiah that God's hand was on him. Whenever they, everybody around saw that, you know what? This thing was done in 52 days. It was clear and evident that God's hand was on Nehemiah. So a couple of things that we can walk away with. Stay humble and give God the praise. This is what I love. If you read, uh, you know, the book of Nehemiah, you see all these things that have happened. And then after the wall is finished, uh, Nehemiah does a, a, a census, if you will. He, he, he writes down who all is there. He begins to take, a, um, take down names and, and who, how many families and how many are part of that family. So it's kind of a census, if you will. And then he does something very special in, in Nehemiah chapter 8. And, and check this out. Read this. All the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, uh, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. So on October the 8th, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and women and all the children uh, old enough to understand. And he faced the square just inside the water gate. From early morning until noon, and read aloud to everyone who could understand. All the people listened closely to the book of the law. Now, I'll read this next passage in just a second, but just think about this. So, for them, that was the Word of God. You know, for us, this is the Word of God. And so, he brings out the Word of God, and he begins to share it with the people. And as he's reading it, man, it, it's, it, it's moving them. But there, there's incredible respect and honor that we see, and the people are literally doing everything they can to honor God in this situation. So he brings it out. So check out this next passage here. It says, Ezra stood on the platform in full view of the people 
And when they saw him open the book, they all rose to their feet. Then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, Amen, Amen, as they lifted their hands and then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And so literally, you know, he is, Ezra is leading the people in worship. That's what he's doing. I mean, he's, he's, he's proclaiming who God is. And the people are like, Amen, Amen, with hands raised. And then they literally fall on their faces before a holy God. And so maybe for you, you know, you, you think, man, I want to be a person of influence. But one of the greatest ways that we can influence is to influence people to worship. You know, Nehemiah did a great job of leading people to help rebuild a wall. He did an incredible job of influencing the leadership, the nobles, you know, all the people to get involved. He did a great job of modeling that by being involved and getting his hands dirty and working on the, his place. And if you go back and you read some of it, you'll even see where he had opportunities to get certain benefits but he didn't give that up. He didn't want to accept that because he didn't want there to be an extra burden on the people. He even went to the leadership, the nobles, and he said, some of you guys are charging interest on these people, your own people, you know, so that you can make wealth. He said, you need to, you shouldn't do that. He said, that's not of God. And so they literally stopped charging interest on the loans they had to some of the people so that the people could be focused on the task at hand. I love it whenever people respond in that way and they say, hey, listen, you know what? We won't do that anymore. But he also led them to worship. And so Nehemiah does an incredible job with Ezra there, reading the Word of God. People just moved by the, the, the power of God's Word. And they moved to, they, they're moved to worship. And so one of the things I would say as a great leader is we always, we always want to lead people to, to give God the glory. That God receives all the praise and all the glory. You know, we don't have to have our name recognized. I know every one of us, we need an attaboy. We, sometimes we need somebody to say, hey, man, you're doing a great job. You know, and that goes a long way. But let me just say this. There are times that we want more recognition than God. And if we look back and we look back at Satan, Lucifer, you see that, you know, that was him. He wanted, he wanted God's attention. He wanted what God had and he wanted to be above God. And so we've got to be willing to say, God, help me to be a humble leader, a servant leader. Jesus was a servant leader. He, he washed the disciples' feet, their dirty, nasty feet. He would get down and wash their feet. And he would tell them, hey, listen, if you want to be a part of me, you've got to do what I do. And so to be a servant leader is to be, doing, be willing to do whatever it takes. And so wherever you work or wherever you lead, especially in your home, dads, let me just say this. You need to be a servant leader. Always looking for ways to bless your family. But more than anything, leading them to give God all the praise. Making sure that God is the one who is glorified. There's a couple of next steps I want to walk through with you. One is ask God, you know, what, what he wants you to do. Ask God, God, what do you want me to do? God, I see where Nehemiah had, had a mission you put him on. What, God, what do you want me to do? What, you know, and God, what, what is it that I need to be about? Maybe it's to, you know, to do something with your family. Maybe it's to take your wife on a marriage retreat if we ever get back to being able to do those things. But you gotta ask, God, what do you want me to do? God, what do I need to do at the church? You know, there's always needs here at the, at the facility for sure. But what are some missions and ministries that maybe that you feel like God has put on your heart that you need to be a part of? So ask God what those might be. Stay focused on the task that God gives you. Whatever He's given you, stay focused on that. It'll always be distractions. There will always be negativity. There will always be those who try to get you to focus on something else. But we've got to stay focused on that. And here's the other thing. Just do your part. Do your part and get involved. There's some of you that are out there watching right now. That you know Maybe you've never even become a member of the church. You know? We're putting together an online class if need, but we are going to have some here in, in, in person. You know, get involved. You know, commit. Get involved. Commit to something. You know, here's the other thing. Find a place to serve. 
You know, every week there are opportunities to serve here. We've got people that are, you know, literally cleaning bathrooms every week to make sure that everything is sterile, you know, and it's sanitized just because of the pandemic that we're in. We've got people that are holding doors open so people don't have to touch doors. There's so many ways you can be involved. Leading a life group, hosting a life group, just letting people meet in your home and study the Word of God. Man, that's a great way for you to be involved. But do your part. Don't let everybody else do everything and just sit back and be the one soaking it all up. Get involved. Do your part. Here's the last one. Give God all the praise. Don't make it about you. You know, don't make it about what you've done. Don't make it about your sacrifice. Don't make it about you. Make it about God. And so whenever you live your life, let it be, you know, to God be all the glory. I love it when someone says, you know, they want to give somebody a, a pat on the back or a praise. I mean, I just, this is all God. I love that. Now, you might say, well, they're just trying to be super humble. No, they're trying to be biblical is what they're trying to be. So I would just ask you, man, have you, have you given your life to God? Have you given your heart to Christ? Have you asked Christ to come and live within you? Have you, have you given Him everything that you've got? And if you haven't, man, what's, what's wrong with doing that today? What's keeping you from doing that today? Maybe today you go, you know what, man, I want to be in right standing with God. I want to, I want to know that one day I will go to heaven. I want to know that, you know what, I'm in a right relationship with God. And the only way that we get there is by putting our faith in what Christ has done. What Jesus did on the cross, what he did through the power of the resurrection, what Jesus has done has paved the way and paved the way, if you will, for you and I to be in a right relationship with God. And the Bible is clear. Not everyone will choose to put their faith in Christ. Broad is the path that leads to destruction. You know, and so there's plenty that will choose not to accept Christ. But maybe today you go, you know what, man, I want Jesus and I want him to live within me. And I want God to give me a mission. I want God to give me a, a task or a, a project that is, is, is so, is so big that I can't do it on my own. So I want to ask you if you would just to bow your heads where you're at. Just close your eyes and just say, Jesus, I want, I want to ask you if you would, will you come into my life? Will you forgive me of my sins? And I'm just telling you, his answer is yes. Jesus has already paid the way. You know, he's already paid your sin debt on the cross. You just have to receive the gift of eternal life. And so you have to ask, Jesus, will you come into my life? Will you forgive me of my sins? And his answer is yes. And then you have to say, Jesus, I'm willing to repent. I want to quit living the way I've been living. I want to turn to you. That repentance, man, that is the turning point. And it's you releasing. It's you surrendering to who Christ is and say, Jesus, I give you my life. And if you will do that, Jesus will step into your life. He'll place the Holy Spirit within you who will guide you. And you'll be led by the Spirit of God from this day forward. And so if you've never done that, I want to encourage you today. Put your faith in Christ. It's by faith that we're saved alone. It's not by works. It's not by going out and doing anything great. It's by receiving the greatest gift the world has ever been given. That is Jesus Christ. And so asking Christ to come and live within us. Giving Him our life. And then here's the thing. Trusting Him to lead us and to guide us. If you, make, if you just made that decision, we want to give you a Bible. We want to put a Bible in your hand that teaches us. Just like with the, the people here, they're wanting to hear from uh, God's Word. We should want to hear from God's Word on a regular basis as well. And so I would encourage you to get that Bible and begin to read, you know, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? What does it mean to be in right standing with God? And then how do I share what I've received with other people? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. God, I pray that you would bless the teaching of your Word. I pray that you would bless... Lord, Father, us as, as leaders, and I pray that you bless our church. I pray that you bless Journey Church with great leaders, people of influence, people who want to make a difference for the kingdom of God. God, it's not about us. God, we just want to, we want to influence as many people as possible to put their faith in, in Jesus Christ for salvation. God, we want, to, we want to make a difference in our community. We want to be 
uh, influencers here in our community. Father, help us to be people of change. God, that we do everything we can to bring about change that is better for the people further down the road. And so, God, thank you for meeting with us today. Thank you for the privilege of being able to worship you together today. Well, Father, whether it's online, whether it's in person, whatever it might be, God, we just thank you for the privilege of being able to gather as the body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just made a decision to follow Christ, we want you to know it is the greatest decision you have ever made. And we want to help you with your next steps. If you will text the phrase, my decision, to the number on your screen, we would love to help you as you start this journey with Christ. Again, we are so excited to see what all God does in you and through you. Now we're going to bring our tithes and offering to God. I want to encourage you to put God first in this area of our life. We do that through our giving. Now, we've made this super simple. You should see a link on the screen and in the comment section to the Journey Church Giving page. And there you can return your tithes and offering. If you need help learning how to give online, we have multiple tutorial videos on our YouTube page and we want you to check them out for any more information. Your giving allows us to continue making an increasing impact for the gospel. So take that step right now and allow God to bless your obedience. Again, thank you so much for joining us online today. And we cannot wait to see you right back here next week.